And when I was a kid, there were two books of credit that played a big role in my life. And the first book of credit was my Scout badge book. Looking very spiffy there, right? So this book here, and it was a record of all the badges that I had merited. And so each time I completed a task, my assessor or one of the scout leaders would sign it off. And when I got all the signatures that I needed for a badge, I would be given that badge. Now, I grew up in the country and the badges had to be ordered from Ballarat. Sometimes they'd take a while to arrive. So this book was a record of what had been credited to me, what was owed me. The second book in my life was of a different sort. It was a record of what customers in our shop owed. So I grew up living behind a general store. There's a picture of it there, a little town called Pomonal. And my parents ran it and I would often work in it, help serving the customers. And if one of the locals didn't have cash on them, they would put it on credit. It was actually before we had FPOS machines. There was no ATM in our town. It was too small. And so instead we had a little spiral notepad and mum and dad would write people's names on it and list what they owed us. And so people would, would come in and they'd actually call it the book. So they'd get their milk and their newspapers and they'd say, put it on the book. And so we'd write it down and it would be credited to them. It's what they owed us. So you can see it's different to the Scout Badge book because that was about what someone owed me. But this book we had in our shop was about what people would owe us. Uh, and so usually it was a debt that had to be counted against them. So these ideas of crediting or counting, they're actually found in the Bible when speaking about salvation. In fact, they're key to understanding the passage we're looking at today in Romans chapter 4. So the Apostle Paul, he spent a long, lot of time explaining how humans are in trouble. God's wrath is coming against us because we have sinned against him. And the only way for us to escape God's just judgment is for us to be righteous. But as much as we might try to justify ourselves before God, none of us have any good deeds that we can credit towards our salvation. In fact, everything we do is credited towards our judgment. So we need to be saved by God himself. Just what Aaron showed us last week in Romans chapter 3. God is able to forgive us because he sent his son to take the punishment we deserve. All who trust in Jesus will be declared righteous in the sight of God. In other words, they will be saved. Now in chapter 4 of his letter to the church in Rome, Paul turns to Abraham as the great example of this. Abraham shows that righteousness comes by faith in God's promises. That's our big idea today for our sermon. So first in verses 1 to 12 we'll look at how righteousness is credited to us by faith. And then in verses 13 to 25, we'll look at the idea of how this is related to God's promises. So let's jump into the first one. You'll see it's listed as the next point on your outline. Righteousness is credited to us by faith, not by works. So have a look at verses 1 to 3 in your Bibles, or maybe in the printout in your Connect card. I'm going to read them out for us. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
So Paul's linking back to the end of chapter 3. The matter he's referring to is how people can only be justified by faith. And he connects this to the idea of boasting, but we're not going to look at that today. Uh, What I want us to see is that Abraham is the great example of how to be righteous. Now hopefully you remember we've defined righteousness as about being in a right relationship with God. To be declared righteous is to be justified. Now, Paul chooses Abraham to back up his argument for three key reasons. The first is that God declared Abraham righteous when he had faith. And this was before God had given the law. So it's actually important for verses 9 to 12. The second reason is that Abraham was the father of the Jews. And it was the Jews, many of them, who opposed Paul's idea that the law of Israel cannot make you righteous. So let me show you a picture of the Jewish family tree. Kids, you might like to look at this. First, we have a picture of Abraham. He married Sarah, and they had a baby, Isaac. Isaac grew up to have... Oh, nothing. Isaac grew up to have Jacob. Hopefully the pictures will come back. Uh, Then Jacob, he was also called Israel. And in Israel, he had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became known as the tribes of Israel. So what we need to know is that the Jews were Israelites descended from Abraham and so Abraham was important for them. There we go. So the third reason why Abraham, uh, why Paul chooses Abraham to back up his argument is that Abraham received amazing promises from God and those promises actually point forward to justification by faith. So we're going to explore Genesis chapter 12 verses 1 to 4. And I'll pop it up on the screen for us. And you'll notice that when we first meet Abraham, he's actually called Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people and your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. So there are three key aspects to this promise. And kids, here's the answer for your first question on your sermon sheet. And parents, you might like to just help your kids to write down the answers. God promised Abraham lob, land, offspring, and blessing. Now the land is pretty straightforward. It was the land of Canaan which Abraham set out for and eventually settled in. It's the promised land where the people of Israel, uh, where they lived and later came to possess it as their own. Now the offspring. This is about how Abraham would become a great nation. But after many years, he remained childless and it seemed one of his servants, Eliezer, would be his heir. So we'll fast forward to Genesis 15 and we'll see what happened next. We'll put verses 4 to 6 on the screen. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. So, Years later, God reaffirms his promise that Abraham will have numerous offspring. Abraham believes the Lord and the Lord credits it to him 
as righteousness. Can you see that's the verse that Paul quotes in Romans 4 verse 3. So Paul's arguing that Abraham came to be in a right relationship with God because he had faith in God. He trusted in the Lord. So we're going to unpack this later on, but can you see what Paul writes in verses 4 and 5 of Romans chapter 4? Have a look. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So my little scout book here was a record of the work that I had done. When I earned a badge, it was credited to me as an obligation, not as a gift. Badges were given to me uh, as a reward or as wages for my efforts. So when the scout leader gave me a new badge, of course I'd say thank you because I was very polite, but I wouldn't say thank you for this generous gift. It was thank you for giving me what I've earned. But Abraham didn't earn his righteousness. If you read through the rest of his story, you know he did some very dodgy things. He was not a perfect man. Rather, he had faith in the God who justifies the ungodly. So let's think about the other book in my life, the book that my parents had at the shop. Uh, People would come in from time to time and pay off what they owed. But imagine if someone came in and offered to pay someone else's debt just because they felt like being generous. This would bring that customer who owed us something, that, that customer would be brought back into a right financial relationship with my parents. It would effectively make them righteous in the sight, in the eyes of mum and dad. And if this money was paid as a gift, then the customer would simply receive it in faith. Their faith would be credited to them as financial righteousness. When it comes to having a right standing before God, justification is by faith, not by works. It cannot be earned. It must be granted as a gift from God. It must be received by faith. So Abraham is the great example of this, right from the very first book of the Bible, which shows that this isn't a new way of saving people that God came up with at the time of Jesus. It's not something that the Apostle Paul invented. No, the Lord has always declared people righteous when they have faith in his promises. And so to support this, Paul refers to another man who lived in the time of the Old Testament, King David. You can see the next sub-point in your outlines. David shows that righteousness is about forgiveness. Now perhaps that idea is already clear to you. Perhaps you got that from Romans 3 last week. But Paul does want to reinforce this by showing that forgiveness is the chief component of the blessing God promised to Abraham. Have a look at verses 6 to 8 in Romans 4. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. So Paul's quoting from Psalm 32, which was written by King David, and he had learned from first-hand experience that God forgives sinners who say sorry to him. And so he declares that it's a blessing to receive forgiveness because it means God will not count your sins against you. In other words, God will not credit sin to your account. The debt will be cleared. 
And so by linking righteousness and forgiveness, Paul is showing that the blessing promised to Abraham is primarily about the forgiveness of sins. And it's received by faith. So kids, listen up. Here's the answer for the second question on your sheet. Now we actually sung about this earlier in our Colin song. And this is what I was taught. A helpful way to remember what the word justified means is to say, it's justified, never sinned. And that's what King David means in Psalm 32. However, think about this way. Forgiveness is about receiving a clean slate. But that doesn't make you right with God, does it? We actually need him to credit good deeds to our account. So I think Paul would say that the word justified means this. And kids, you can see here's the next answer. It's justified, always obeyed. So imagine that we all have a little scout book that God looks through. And he'll look through to see if the salvation badge can be credited to us. And unfortunately, when he gets to the salvation badge, there are no signatures at all. We have done nothing towards our salvation badge. But the wonderful news of the gospel is that Jesus has earned the badge for us and he invites us to share it with him. He allows us to present his own scout book to God so we too can receive salvation. Now, the last sub-point, it's very brief. Uh, We're exploring how righteousness is credited to us by faith, not works. And so verses 9 to 12 show that Abraham was justified before there was circumcision, before the law came. Circumcision was a key identifier of the Jews and they saw it as essential to receiving God's blessings. But Paul argues here that justification is available to all people, whether they are circumcised or not. The key is that they need to have faith. You can actually read those verses later and think about them later on. So righteousness is credited to us by faith. The second part of our passage expands on that faith and gets our, get to our next main point. This faith is in God's gracious promises. Now we'll see why Genesis 12 and 15 are so important. Because it'd be easy to think that Abraham is the model of faith just because he had faith. And many people define faith as just this sort of inner sense of spirituality, this sense of wishful thinking. You know, They have belief, but it's not in anything in particular. They're just kind of faithy people. But that's not Christian faith. That's not biblical faith. That's not saving faith. True faith, the kind of faith that justifies, is, is faith in God's promises. And Abraham is the father of promise. You can see that's our next sub-point. And it links to verses 13 to 16. Check them out in your Bibles. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. So Paul is thinking about Genesis 12 here and the promise that through Abraham, 
all peoples on earth will be blessed. And a key part of this was the promise in verse 2 of Genesis 12 that God would make Abraham into a great nation. That nation was Israel. Now sadly, the Israelites, the Jews, they thought law was the way to secure the promise. But Paul says that law just brings judgment because no one can perfectly keep the law. Instead, the promised blessings come through faith. And this is so that it be by grace. This is a huge idea, and it's at the heart of the Bible. Grace is about the undeserved mercy that God shows to sinners. It's the kindness and love by which he forgives us. He restores us to himself, and he grants us eternal life and watches over us day by day. And this grace, this kindness, this mercy is open to anyone and everyone who has faith in God. That's how Abraham is the father of promise. And that's how Abraham can be your father. Even if you're not a Jew, you can benefit from the promise God made to him if you have the same faith as Abraham. And so he's not just the model, the example of faith in the promise. He's the one to whom the promise was first given and it's through him that we access the promise. It's by being connected to him that we receive the blessings too. He's the father of promise. So let's turn now to verses 17 to 22 of Romans 4 and to see what it is that God promised. We see that he promised Abraham life from death and something from nothing. It's the next sub-point on our outline. So check out verse 17. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. So Paul is quoting Genesis 17 here. I'm going to read out verses 5 and 6 and see if you can see where the quote is from. So God says, No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. Abraham was 99 years old and still childless. Yet God's promise is so certain that he changes Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of many. God will give life to the dead, and he will call into being something that was not. He's talking about the birth of Isaac. And he's talking about the creation of Abraham's large family. And look at verses 18 to 22 of Romans 4, where Paul explains all of this. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. God brought new life out of an elderly couple, a man who was so old that he was as good as dead, a woman whose barren womb was as good as dead. Yet they had a son, Isaac. 
And God spoke to Abraham as if he was already the father of many, even though there were no people to point to yet. And so Abraham believed that God keeps his promises and he can bring life from death and he can bring new things into existence. This then relates to us as Christians. Because not only do we believe in the same promise-keeping God, we believe in the same promise. We have just more details than Abraham had. So see the next sub-point in our outline? Christians trust in God's promise to give life and create a people. So verses 23 to 25 of Romans 4 link back to verse 17 and they tie up the whole chapter. I'll read them out. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So first it might seem like Paul is saying that Abraham trusted God in, in that situation and then we trust God in a different situation. But Paul actually wants us to see that the two situations are related. We believe in the same promise made to Abraham. So kids, you need to listen up. Here's an answer for the third question on your sermon sheet. Christians believe that God can give life from the dead. Can you see in verse 24 that this refers to Jesus? We believe that God raised him up from the dead. So God promises to bring life, so he gave Abraham a baby. God promises to bring life, so he raised Jesus from the dead. Christians also believe that God can create a people for his own. This is kind of less clear from these verses. But we can see that the promise of righteousness by faith wasn't just for Abraham, it was also for us. People who live thousands of years later, God is building his church, his people, as new people come to Jesus in faith. And in that way, the family of Abraham grows. God promises to create something new, so he made a nation for Abraham. God promises to create something new, So he made the church for Jesus. And we see that these are all connected because Abraham's faith was in an offspring who would secure the promised blessings for the world. And that offspring ultimately wasn't Isaac, it was Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate seed, promised child, offspring of Abraham, who was delivered over to death for our sins. And not just the sins of you and me, but also the sins of Abraham the sins of Isaac, the sins of Jacob, the sins of all the Jews who trusted in God's promise to save. And so in fact, the the people that God promised to bring about, that's all believers throughout all time, which includes believing Jews, believing Gentiles, the church. So let's think again about those two books from my childhood. The book at my parents' shop showed what people owed them. God has a book in heaven which shows the debt that we owe him. Our ungodly deeds generate more and more credit that we have to pay off somehow. And there are two ways we can pay off that debt. We can pay it off by our own debts, experiencing the full force of God's judgment, or we can trust in Jesus, who has already died, to pay the debt that we owe. And if we trust in Jesus, God will take 
the book and he'll cross out our debt. Now, the other book, my scout book, was a record of the badges I'd earned. And as I said earlier, we can trust in Jesus who has earned the salvation badge on our behalf. It can be merited to us, credited to us by faith. Jesus has been raised up to life and he offers us justification. So can you see then why Paul talks about Abraham here in chapter 4? See, Abraham shows that righteousness comes by faith in God's promises. He is the model of faith, but he's also the father of promise. We've already seen over the past weeks that the only way to be made righteous before God is to have faith in Jesus. So if you're here today and you're not a Christian, if you haven't put your life into the hands of Jesus, you haven't trusted in him, you need to do so. It's the only way that you can be in a right relationship with God. You must do that. But Romans 4, it adds some new ideas to Paul's argument that we can explore as well. It reveals three important aspects of righteousness by faith. You you could maybe find more, but these are the three ones that I think are important for us to think about as a church. The first important aspect is that righteousness by faith is the unified message of the Bible. The whole Bible is a book about how to have righteousness credited to you by faith and how to not have your sins credited to you by that same faith. So it's not like God started with salvation by works and then changed his mind and went, I'll just do it by faith and said it's a bit easier. Abraham reveals to us that God has always intended to declare people righteous by his grace through faith. And so that means we can even uphold the Old Testament as the word of God and see that it's relevant to us as Christians. Yeah, there are some churches where the Old Testament is ignored or even treated with an embarrassment. It's seen to be about a harsh God who gives people laws that they can't keep and then he yells at them for not keeping the laws that they can't keep. But in reality, it's about God's grace, his wonderful promises. We see right from the book of Genesis that God sets about a plan for salvation that's about trusting in him. Yes, there are some parts of the Old Testament that are very hard for us to understand. How do they apply to us now that Jesus has come and fulfilled the promises? We've got to do the hard work. But the Old Testament does not contain a message that contradicts the New Testament. In fact, Abraham reveals to us that even before Jesus came, people who believed in God's promises were justified because they looked forward in faith. They didn't have all the details. They didn't know that a man named Jesus would die on the cross. But they had faith in God's promises and his death is able to cover their sins too. That's the first important aspect we get from uh, Abraham's example. The second aspect of righteousness by faith revealed in Romans 4 is that it brings believers into Abraham's family. We've kind of touched on this a bit already. As Christians, we can call Abraham our father. And so we're brought into those promises of Genesis 12. We get lob. We get the land. We're looking forward to heaven, aren't we? The promised land and eventually the renewed earth where we'll live in peace with God and with each other. We also have the promise of offspring or more specifically being part of the people of God. You know, whatever family background you might have, whether you value your family background or not, By faith in Jesus, 
you join a wonderful spiritual family with historical roots and a family that will continue on into eternity. You are united with all of God's people throughout all ages, throughout the whole world. So you're part of something bigger than yourself. You don't have to be defined by your own family, your own heritage for better or worse. You can be part of this wonderful family of God, something that's amazing and significant and everlasting. And let's not forget we have the promise of blessing, which we've seen includes the forgiveness of sins. Let's not forget eternal life as well. That's pretty good, isn't it? And finally, Romans 4 shows us that righteousness by faith gives believers assurance. The power for salvation is not dependent on your faith, but upon God's promises. It's not dependent upon your faithfulness, but the faithfulness of Christ, who has already died and risen and reigns in heaven today. God has already shown that he can give life to the dead, which means he can give you eternal life and he can keep you in that life. Even if you die, he can raise you up to everlasting life. And God has already shown that he can call things that are not as if they already are. See, he calls you holy. He calls you righteous. And so even when you feel unholy, when you act in an unrighteous way, He will bring about your holiness in its fullness. He will accomplish what he's promised to do. You may feel that you're a failure. You may feel that you're not a very good Christian, that you're not growing enough in your faith. But God will keep you and he will one day make you perfect. So our role is not to work off the sin that's been credited against our name because Jesus has taken the book and he's paid our debt. And our role is not to work hard so that salvation could be credited to us. Jesus has already merited salvation on our behalf. He's earned the salvation badge for us. Our role is to trust in the God who keeps his promises and who has the power to bring them about. And by that trust, we are credited as righteous and our sins are not credited against us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful message, this wonderful truth, that we are justified by faith. It's just as if we had never sinned, but also just as if we had always obeyed. We are viewed uh, in your eyes as righteous people. And so please help us to hold on to that by faith, resting in your grace every day. Amen.